everyone. Thank you for joining us for the sixth episode of Burning Questions, a podcast focused on reducing risk in your communities and answering some of your questions along the way. In each episode, we'll focus on one safety topic that we get a lot of questions about. We'll do our best to answer some of those questions, and we'll try and clear up any misconceptions about those topics while we're at it. If you have any questions you'd like for us to answer, leave a voicemail for us at 864-430-0510 or email us at bsfdpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll try and give you an answer in a later episode. In today's episode, we're focused on the topic of when to call 911. Knowing to call 911 can mean the difference between life and death in an emergency, but it's essential to understand the appropriate circumstances to call for help and how to provide the necessary information to the 911 operator. We'll cover situations that require calling 911, such as fires, medical emergencies, and law enforcement, and we'll discuss tips for staying calm, giving clear information, and the consequences of tying up the emergency line with non-emergency situations. By the end of the episode, you should have a better understanding of when to call 911 and how to respond in an emergency. I'm Captain Chris Camacho, and with me today is our guest, Lieutenant Lisa Ball. Welcome, Lisa. How are you? Thanks, Chris. I'm excited to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing good, thanks. So first off, let's talk about the basics. Can you explain kind of the emergency response system and how that works? Sure. So when you call 911, it's for specifically emergencies. The dispatchers are trained to ask very specific questions to get you the best response, quickest response, and the appropriate response, whether it be law enforcement, firefighters, or EMS. All right. And is there any way that the dispatchers or the 911 operators, do they prioritize any one specific type of call over another? So as they're getting information from you, the caller, using specific questions and answers, it will start a train of thought of what resources you might need. It will also figure out the level of severity that that call is to prioritize and send out the closest resource that's best used for that emergency. So those life-threatening events will bring the highest level of response. It may bring a bunch of apparatus or trucks or ambulances that we wouldn't otherwise send. I know when we call 911, it's important to provide clear and concise information to the dispatchers. What kind of information should we be providing? So naturally, it's going to be difficult to focus when you're having an emergency. And we understand that. So the better you can do to help give us information of what's going on, specifically where it's going on, what's your address, what's a contact number to call you back if we have difficulty keeping the call, or maybe specifics of who's involved may help us get you the fastest resources for you. All that's really good information, and it gets us kind of into our next section, which is the importance of calling 911. Can you go into a little bit more detail on why calling 911 or knowing when and how to call 911 is so important? When you're having an emergency, it feels like seconds are minutes. It can feel very chaotic, and so time is crucial. It can really make a difference between life and death. So when you call 911, you are immediately connected with a dispatcher who's going to be asking you questions that make sure that you're safe until emergency responders can get there. 
This can also include instructions for how to give first aid, how to get out of the building safely, and how to protect yourself from whatever environment you're in. We're trying to get there as quickly as possible as emergency responders. We have a lot of emphasis of getting there as fast as possible without hurting people along the way. And so when you're driving emergent, as we call it, we are putting our citizens at risk trying to get there as quickly as possible. So more information we have of how serious event this is, as well as where exactly it is, gets us safely to you, as well as helps us help you in that environment. So one example of this would be if somebody called and said they had fallen in their home, but they were not injured. We are going to go out and help that person, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to go lights and sirens to their house. Definitely not under the same circumstances as if somebody is injured and bleeding or if there's a fire in someone's home, correct? Yeah, absolutely. If we have reason to believe that someone has fallen and gotten hurt, we're going to treat it like a medical emergency. If you have fallen and you don't have a support network of people that you can call, we hate to hear that you're in a situation where you may or may not have someone nearby to help. We want to be able to help, but ideally we don't put people at risk if there's not an injury or actual emergency. So Lisa, have we seen this in the past where people have shown hesitancy to call 911 because they didn't think what they were experiencing was a true emergency? There was an instance where we had a community member that was nervous about calling 911 because she didn't feel that her situation was an emergency. When we got there, I felt that the reasons why she fell of feeling lightheaded and dizzy that caused her to fall, although she wasn't bleeding, that is an emergency that she's having a medical episode that's causing her to fall. That's a good reason for calling 911. And if you're ever concerned and not sure, it's better to call 911. We'd rather respond out there and then it ends up not being as big of an issue as you thought initially. That's okay. If you are pretty confident that it's not an emergent situation, we have a non-emergent number and we'll still be happy to help. We do a lot to uh, make sure we're there for our community. And I think we've built a culture that our community trusts calling us. No issue is... No problem too small. Yeah, there's no problem too small. Exactly. So we've covered a lot of topics. Let's talk about situations that require you to call 911. So there's several of them, and we're going to kind of hit on the main ones, such as fire, medical emergencies, maybe when you have to call law enforcement. Fires, it's pretty simple. If you smell or see any smoke, call 911 immediately. Any of those weird kind of funky smells of something that makes you think of electrical burning that could be an appliance or something in the wall, call us. We have a lot of neat equipment that we can check to see if there's a fire. And if nothing else, you have the peace of mind to have an extra set of eyes to see if there's an emergency going on. Absolutely. And you mentioned medical emergencies. Tell us a little bit more about those. 
The most common are heart attack, stroke, allergic reactions. All of these require a 911 call immediately. The dispatcher is going to help you gather some info on what's going on, how to help the medical responders or paramedics get to you and have pertinent information immediately available so that they can start to get the resources needed. And also, a lot of times when you call 911 and you're speaking with that 911 operator, they can coach you, like Lisa said earlier, through a lot of first aid and even coach you through CPR if it's required. Sometimes it can be kind of frustrating too when you're having an emergency and they're asking you all these extra questions that you may not understand why. Oftentimes these are to help us maybe not diagnose but start to plan for what we're about to walk into. Absolutely. And when it comes to calling 911 for law enforcement requests, it's pretty simple. If you witness a crime or you're in immediate danger, call 911, report the situation. The dispatcher will gather your information and they'll dispatch police officers to the scene. It's important to provide as much information as possible about the situation, including where you are and what's happening, and especially if there's any weapons involved. If there's a suspect, it's helpful sometimes to get a description of what they're wearing, what they may look like, or even which direction they were heading. But on top of all this, it's really important to remember that 911 should only be used for emergencies. I know we've been talking about the different emergencies where you would call, and we do want you to know that if you're unsure whether it qualifies as an emergency, go ahead and call. If you're sure something's not for 911, call one of the non-emergency numbers and we'll still come out and help, but we may not come with the lights and sirens and it may not be a priority if there's other emergencies going on at the same time. Yeah, that really helps us prioritize the needs of the community. So we're not trying to say your situation isn't important, but if you're locked out of your car, it may not be worth us sending a unit if we have someone that's having a heart attack right nearby. Well, I'm glad you mentioned heart attacks because a lot of the questions that we get on this reference common medical emergencies that may or may not require 911, but what are some examples and some of the, the symptoms that you might see for some really common medical emergencies that we respond to? So one of the common ones is heart attacks. Symptoms of a heart attack usually include chest pain, shortness of breath, sweating, the symptoms for females can be a little bit different. They can have an upset stomach. They may have neck pain, jaw pain. Sometimes you may have pain that radiates to your arm. If you have any kind of chest pain that seems to come up out of the blue, even if you think it may be indigestion or something like that, that just feels different, call 911. We have a lot of equipment that paramedics and ambulances use that can get a little bit more information using the cardiac monitors and have some educated people help guide you through the decision of whether or not you wanted to go to the hospital. It's your choice ultimately, but they may be able to give you some more context of the situation and the risk. And another one would be if you're suffering a stroke. Uh, that occurs when blood flow to the brain is blocked, causing damage to those brain cells. Symptoms of the stroke can include weakness, numbness in the face, arm, leg, some confusion, trouble speaking or understanding speech, and difficulty walking. 
If somebody's experiencing those symptoms, definitely call 911. These medical emergencies, in particular, time is of the essence. But with heart attacks and strokes both, anytime blood flow is blocked to an important organ, such as your brain or your heart, you got to get to definitive care as fast as you can. And one of the tricky things with strokes is sometimes it's hard to analyze yourself and what's going on. Unless you're talking to someone, you won't recognize whether or not you're having trouble coming up with words. Or if you're not walking around, then you won't recognize that you're not able to lift your arm or your leg as well as you could. Another one that's kind of tricky for people to recognize on their own is severe allergic reactions. This can be very dangerous if not treated. And what can happen is if you have a history of smaller reactions, it can give you this false confidence that the next time it's not gonna be as bad. The weird thing with allergic reactions is you can have a mild reaction one day and it can be very severe the next day. So it's very important that you call 911 if you have allergic reaction where you're having difficulty breathing, any kind of swelling of the face or throat, where you're having hives all over, and your heartbeat feels like it's racing. When you have all these symptoms going on in combination, it means that you're having a full systemic reaction. That's why it's really important that you get more people that have other medications that can help your situation and get you quickly to the hospital. If you try to drive yourself and you're having breathing problems or low blood pressure, you could pass out behind the wheel. And now you've got even more issues going. Absolutely. And while we're talking about severe allergic reactions, we're getting into that time of year where people are spending more time outdoors. And I know myself, I am allergic to uh, yellow jackets. So whenever I've been stung with yellow jackets, it's been super mild. Uh, the last time I got stung was about five years ago. Had to go to the doctor and get an EpiPen because my calf was twice the size of my thigh. Oh no. <laughs> So I learned that lesson the hard way, but I had always had very mild reactions, very localized swelling. But that situation brought my attention to allergies can change. So if you do have a known allergy, talk to your doctor, get that EpiPen ahead of time so that if you ever do have a severe allergic reaction, you can at least have something that can keep you safe and alive until emergency responders can get to you and get you to the hospital. So it's, I think it's easy for people that have a lot of conditions that kind of flare up unpredictably and they're able to sometimes manage them on their own that they don't think to call 911. Well, and a good example would be some of the other emergencies that you may consider calling 911 would be uh, seizures, severe bleeding, ulcers, diabetic emergencies, anything like that that can sometimes be a chronic condition you know your body better than anybody. So if you feel like this has changed or it's somehow worse, listen to your gut. Always call 911 if you're ever in doubt. Don't second guess yourself. It's worth calling 911 because in the end, it's your right of whether or not you want to go to the hospital. So if you have diabetes and your sugars drop every now and then, but if no one's around to judge whether or not you're fading out, call 911. We'll get there. We may even help you make a sandwich. <laughs> We're not trying to push you to go to the hospital if you don't need it. But if you're unsure, call 911. And when we get there, we can have a conversation then. 
Absolutely. And I know that all the things that we're talking about, they sound like super serious situations. And with these kind of situations comes fear, anxiety, and stress. Can you give us any tips for how we might stay calm and give good information to the 911 operator when we call? To be fair, we're in the South and I feel like a lot of people do pretty good at staying calm in situations they should not be calm. But if you are having trouble staying calm because it is something completely new to you, try to take a deep breath. Remind yourself to stay as calm as possible because that's going to help you think clearly and help you give us the information that's necessary for the 911 operator. Absolutely. And what I'll say with that is if you can only get one piece of information out, your location is the most important. Because if we know where you are, we can send everybody. We're all going to show up because we know you're having an emergency, but we don't know exactly what that emergency is. So we're always of the mindset, better safe than sorry. So we're going to send everybody to you just to make sure that you get the care you need, even if you might not necessarily need all of the care we send. So are there any other things that they need to make sure that they share with the 911 operator? Provide as much information as possible about the situation. This could be the type of emergency, any injuries or symptoms you may be feeling, any hazards that are in the area. This will help the dispatcher determine the appropriate level of response. And after you've given them those details, it's important that if they give you any instructions, follow those instructions. It may be to hang up the phone. It may be that they want you to go outside and flag the fire truck as it's coming in. And if you live in a gated community, it could even be as simple as, hey, make sure that somebody can go and open the gate, let the trucks in. So Lisa, we've been talking a lot about 911, the 911 system, emergency response. Can you take our listeners through what happens when they call 911? Like, what is that process? They dial 911, what happens next? So even if you triple press your phone and it's an accidental butt dial to 911, you're going to get a dispatcher and that dispatcher is going to treat it like an emergency. And they're going to say, 911, what's your emergency? So immediately they're going to be getting information about where you are, what's going on, how many people are involved. The very initial information they get, they're going to start setting off tones to who they think needs to respond. So either fire or EMS will get a radio tone to cue them in that there is an emergency that they're going to need to respond to. When they're scurrying to the truck to start rolling out on the ramp, their computer is starting to give them more information. As the dispatcher is collecting information from you, we're getting that almost live feed. So the computer on the truck is called an MDT or mobile data terminal. And that is basically a direct link to the 911 dispatch center. So as they're asking you these questions, and like we were talking about earlier, it can seem kind of frustrating that you're having an emergency and they're asking you questions. The reason for that is as you're answering those questions, they're putting them directly into the CAD, which we see on our computers in the trucks. This gives us up-to-date information, like Lisa said, so that as soon as we get on scene, we already know everything that was asked of you, and we have those answers so we can better serve you once we get on scene. 
and something I'd like to add to the end here is we've covered what happens when you call 911 all the way up to whoever needed to respond has arrived on scene. But one thing that we do in our area is it doesn't matter the name on the side of the truck. It doesn't matter what color that fire truck is. You get the closest truck, the closest piece of apparatus that can help you with your emergency. It used to be where our fire department and our fire district served our specific district. And so we staffed our own dispatchers. So one person was taking the phone call, immediately trying to manage communication to the crews sending out. And if it was something that needed a bunch of other fire departments to come to as well, he was having to receive information from the crews as things are evolving, as well as picking up the phone and calling fire chiefs of the neighboring districts. It's changed so much in the past five years to where now we have this whole team geared towards helping you and others. A way that that's helped us as emergency responders is it used to be where if we had, let's say, an apartment fire the most that we could get would be four stations or three engines and a ladder. And now with our automatic aid agreements and everything else that we have in place, not long ago we had an apartment fire. I came out of the apartment and saw that we had five engines and two ladders on scene. And it was something the neighbors were talking about is we had so many people there to assist us and there was no danger to us putting ourselves in a dangerous situation where nobody was there to get us out. These emergencies sometimes can be very manpower intensive. And when you turn around and you just see a sea of people that are there ready quickly to help you in what you need, that's a cool feeling. Absolutely. So as we're talking about these large scale emergencies, a lot of times people, like we said before, have this hesitation when they're calling 911 because they think that their emergency is not big enough to warrant an emergency response with fire trucks or ambulances or police. Can you give our listeners some tips on why it's important not to hesitate when it comes to calling 911? Sometimes these emergencies can snowball. So they may start off minor and then they get really complicated. And the more time goes on, they get way more complicated. And all of that's really good information. We're gonna do a quick recap of what we've covered in this episode. We talked about the emergency response system, talked about the importance of calling 911, some situations and common emergencies that require a call to 911. We talked about how to stay calm and give good information to that 911 operator. We talked about what happens after you call 911. And then we talked about why you shouldn't hesitate to call 911. I want to take this time to say a special thank you to my guest, Lieutenant Lisa Ball. Thanks, Chris. It was fun. And if I can ask the listeners to do one thing, it's just to review these points with your loved ones, especially with your children. Knowing when and how to call 911 in an emergency could mean the difference between life and death. This podcast was made possible by the Boiling Springs Fire District in Greenville, South Carolina. Thank you all for being with us today. I'm Captain Chris Kamesha. Stay safe out there. Hashtag have a fire safe day. <laughs>